I'm Meg Dahl, your unbreakable host. Welcome to the show. and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Unbreakable You podcast. It's Meg here as always, but I'm actually not where I usually am. (laughs) If you're listening to this podcast episode when it comes out. So I am actually pre-recording this podcast episode because this last week of November, I'm actually in Kelowna, BC for my last somatic experiencing practitioner training. So I started this course three years ago. It's a three-year program and it has completely changed my life, my business, me as a practitioner. But anyways, I am now at the very end of it. So that's pretty bittersweet for me because I'm super proud of myself for completing this program and just diving into it in the first place a few years ago. So super proud of myself and it's exciting to like complete something and be done with something. But it's also sad because this has been such a significant part of my life for the past few years that it's going to feel very weird being done this program and I'm also I just feel like a forever student so I'm curious what is going to catch my interest next or where life is going to lead me next. But anyways, I just love learning. I love being a student and I have absolutely loved this program. And I'm proud to say that I am now a somatic experiencing practitioner. And obviously I have been working with my clients for the last few years through a somatic lens, but it's pretty cool to actually have like that designation or those credentials. Um, That's not why I did this program. And I think it's important to note that. But anyways, with all that being said, I kind of went off on a little um, ramble there. But that is where I am this week, the last week of November, if you're listening to this podcast episode when it comes out. Now, I do also have a couple other rambles that maybe we can just like hang out and talk about before we actually get to some listener questions today. I just think that might be kind of fun. I don't know. When I'm listening to a podcast episode, I honestly love the banter in podcast episodes. Like I very rarely listen to podcasts. I actually haven't listened to a podcast. I truly cannot remember the last time I listened to a podcast, which is wild because I was always listening to true crime podcasts like every single day and I just kind of stopped doing that maybe in the summertime maybe not intentionally but 
I just kind of went through this phase where they weren't really something I wanted to listen to. So I've been not listening to podcasts, but when I do listen to podcasts, I love the podcast where they just kind of ramble. So for an example, I'm not sure if you've ever heard the Smartless podcast before. It's with Will Arnett, Sean Hayes, Jason Bateman, three just hilarious guys. They're all friends. So there's good banter back and forth. And I just absolutely love that podcast episode or that podcast for that reason, for the banter. Like if I am listening to a podcast, I am there for the banter or just the random chats that they have. Also, I used to listen to True Crime Weekly with Derek and Stephanie. And again, like the rambles that they get into and the banter back and forth is just my absolute favorite thing. So I thought since I'm recording this episode on my last work day of the week before I leave for Kelowna and my training, it very much feels like a Friday for me. So I'm like kind of vibing with this Friday energy right now. And you know, I just thought we could <laughs> we could have some rambles today. So the first thing is I do not know if anyone else's dog does this, but I think Penny is either sad right now or she is upset with me slash mad at me because uh, two nights ago, I started my packing. I went downstairs, I got my suitcase, I pulled it, you know, like I brought it into my office, laid it out, and I started slowly packing, putting some outfits together and just, you know, putting stuff in my suitcase. Ever since I started doing that, she has been kind of avoiding me and not being all lovey and excited to see me. She's been kind of like sulking around the house. And, you know, as a mom, a fur mom who is extremely overprotective, like I am so overprotective of Penny, it's crazy, but, um, I am that type of fur mom. So all week I'm like, is there something wrong with her? Like, should I be calling the vet or is she just like moping around because she knows I'm leaving or is she mad at me because I'm leaving? I really don't know. It's so weird. And I just wanted to share that with you because I'm very curious if anyone else's fur babies do that. Like, do your dogs get sulking, like mopey or sad or even angry leading up to you leaving for a trip? Like, does she know I'm going somewhere? I have told her because I follow an animal communicator on TikTok and she advises that you like inform your pets of things that are happening. So if you're leaving the house, for an example, you tell your pet like, hey, I'm going to be back. Go look out the window and watch for me or whatever. Like you communicate with them just as you would a child. And so I do that with Penny and I have told her that I'm leaving tomorrow or that I'm leaving on Thursday. Anyways, I 
have been having like an odd week here because I'm worried that either Penny's like ill and I need to take her to the vet or maybe she's just like sad or mad at me. So anyways, curious if anyone else has that experience with their dog. Um, And then the next thing is even though this is a podcast, so you can't actually see me right now, I did something pretty significant on Monday night. I chopped my hair off. So I have been so excited for this haircut for the past month. I have had it booked for a month now and I am so happy with the outcome. So let me tell you about it. I went in and my hair was like down to my belly button, kind of like grazing the top of my butt. So it was the longest my hair has ever been. And last time I did a big chop was back in December of 2016. My hair was almost the same length, but I cut it kind of more to my collarbone that time. And unfortunately, I wasn't thinking ahead and I didn't donate my hair for cancer wigs. So I didn't want to make that mistake again. So I went in prepared this time and my hairdresser, we put my hair in a pony and she cut the pony off and we cut 15 inches off initially. And so I'm pretty pumped that I have this 15 inch ponytail to donate for cancer wigs. I am so happy about that. And it kind of just like makes me want to grow my hair out again so I can do the same thing. But truthfully, ever since cutting my hair on Monday night, I really don't know if I will ever grow my hair out that long ever again because I am so in love with just this short hairstyle. It is so fun. And I just, for the first time in a really long time, I... I'm like excited about my hair rather than annoyed and I'm realizing I don't think I've ever actually loved my hair before like there's been times where I haven't liked it and then just when I've had long hair like I liked it but I wasn't like in love with my hair anyways now with this short cut I feel so myself and the thing that I specifically wanted to talk about regarding my hair change is that I actually feel like a different person and I posted that on Instagram yesterday and I received several responses and like I know these things but receiving these responses from our Instagram community just really made me kind of pause and start thinking about these things. So anyways, I said on Instagram how I just feel like a different person with this short hair. And the response I was getting was, like I said, these things that I knew, but I didn't actually think about them. So people were like, well, Meg, that makes so much sense because you know, your hair holds so much energy and it's literally like shedding 
a part of you when you cut it. And then other people were like, you know, it long hair or our hair connects us to like the spiritual world, you know, all kind of responses like that, that our hair literally holds on to like old energy and just like me as a practitioner who kind of like works through the parts work lens, I started thinking, oh yeah, like how many past versions of myself had that same hair, which got me to thinking. So like I said, my last haircut was in 2016, December of 2016. At that point in my life, I did not have a period and I still did not start my hypothalamic amenorrhea recovery. I did not start HA recovery until the summer, August to be specific, but I did not start HA recovery until August of 2018. And then I didn't get my period back until August of 2019. And throughout like that entire time from when I got my hair significantly chopped at the end of 2016 up until literally this week I was only getting micro trims so like hardly anything taken off anytime I went in for a trim so I was carrying the same hair from prior to HA recovery during recovery and even like after recovery. And it just really got me thinking like, wow, like that to me makes sense as to why I feel literally like a different person after cutting off all of that old hair, because even though it was super healthy, right? Like it's not like I was cutting off like 15 inches of like dead unhealthy hair, but cutting off all this old hair, it just, I I really feel like a new person is what I'm saying. And anyways, I just had to stop and pause. And, you know, maybe the, the point of me sharing that with you is I just think it's kind of like a cool pondering, but also I just want to extend that to you. If you have long hair, I want you to think about like all of the things that you've gone through in your life that might still like energetically be held in your hair. And, you know, if you are tempted to cut your hair or maybe you are in a healing journey right now and you're just feeling like maybe a little bit stuck and like you need to like shed something and kind of step into a new version of yourself. I don't know, but maybe cutting your hair and like getting rid of some hair that has been with you and holding on to those old energies for quite some time. Like maybe that's the move, right? And I'm just speaking from personal experience here, but I feel like a totally different person with, okay, so she cut 15 inches off and then she cut at least another inch after that. 
I think she cut more than that, but when I touched base with her after the haircut and just kind of like asked her, she said she cut at least another inch off. So my hair is like kind of just, just skimming my shoulders. So that's kind of where I'm at, but I got at least 16 inches cut off. So, you know, and it has nothing to do with like how I look that I feel like a different person, but truly on a energetic level, I feel like a different person and it is wild. And I just wanted to share that with you. So we are now like almost 17 minutes into this episode and I do want to answer some listener questions. So we'll pick up from where we left off last week. Last week, I talked about tips for resting during recovery, especially when that feels really, really challenging. And we also talked about how my eating has changed since HA recovery and whether or not I still eat 2,500 plus calories. So if those topics interest you and you haven't listened to last week's episode, definitely go check that out. Today we are moving on to new questions, but let's start with a HA related question since that's kind of where we left off last week. So our listener is asking, did you change anything after getting your first period back? And then she has part two of her question. And that is, was your second period cycle normal? So the answer to her first question, did I change anything after my first period? No. And this is kind of what I was talking about last week, right? Like when we recover from HA and we get our period back, that is a green light that, hey, you are doing exactly what you need to be doing. Keep going. It is not a green light that says, okay, cool. You got your period back. Now you have permission to change everything you are doing. So I really want to just reiterate that here. If you are in HA recovery, that should be the game plan moving forward. Once you get your period back, that first period is not this green light saying, okay, cool, change everything you've been doing or change things, right? That is truly like your body's way of being like, hey, whatever you are doing right now, keep doing that because that is what we need you to be doing. Second part of her question is, was my second period cycle normal? So I did get my period in August of 2019 and I got my second period period in September again. So it did come. Um, The thing that changed from my period, like, you know, period one to period two to period three was something that was actually really good. So my luteal phase, so the amount of time between when I ovulated until when my period started again, that portion of my cycle started to increase, which is what we want to see because that's actually a sign of really good progesterone. And we want that. We want that luteal phase to be at least 10 days long. 
That's what we want to see. And so initially that first cycle that I had, it wasn't 10 days long. And so though that was the change that I noticed from my first recovery cycle to my second to my third, etc., was that my luteal phase started to lengthen. And so, you know, I often just like kind of put that out there for my clients who have recovered their cycles or, you know, we're going through HA recovery, that sort of thing is that if we get our periods back and things like we shouldn't be expecting a perfect cycle, right? Your body is working so hard to recover. It wants you to be the healthiest version of yourself. So let's kind of drop those expectations of having a perfect cycle, cycle one or cycle two or whatever, but let's monitor and kind of notice the trends and making sure that, you know, if our luteal phase, for an example, is short, mine was honestly just a few days. So my cycles were about like 30 days. So my periods were like about 30-ish days apart. However, I was ovulating super late within that those 30 days. And so my luteal phase was really short. So we want to monitor trends and just make sure that the changes that we see are moving in like the positive direction or the direction that we want to see them move in. So second question for today is, should I be eating three meals a day, even if I'm not hungry? So three meals a day is not like, you know, this, (laughs) like, I don't like having rules around food, right? So it's not like if you have three meals a day, like that's that's like the, what we're aiming for. I don't know if that makes sense, but like three meals a day, I guess, isn't like the golden rule. That's the word that I'm looking for. Three meals a day isn't the golden rule, but what piques my interest here is when she says like, should I be eating three meals a day, even if I'm not hungry? So not being hungry is often actually a sign of not eating enough. So if you're not even eating three meals a day because you're just not hungry, it is a very likely sign that you're not eating enough. And I love talking about hunger and hunger cues because like I said, if we're literally just like going through the day and not experiencing hunger, that should be a cue to start like getting curious about your hormones and like how you're nourishing your body. And if you're actually eating enough, because we want to be experiencing normal fluctuations in hunger throughout the day. Like hunger is actually a sign of health. And when I say hunger is a sign of health, I'm not saying that being ravenous all day, every single day, and just feeling like you could eat a house, like that's not what I'm saying is a sign of health. What I'm saying is a sign of health is sleeping 
undisturbed throughout the entire night, waking up in the morning, you know, maybe sleeping until at least 6 a.m. or whatever, waking up in the morning and having an appetite. We don't want to feel like ravenous when we wake up, but I like kind of referring to the hunger that we should be experiencing ideally in the morning as like, yeah, like I have an appetite. I could eat. We don't have to be ravenous, right? Our hunger doesn't have to be like, okay, I have to run to the kitchen right now and eat the entire fridge, but we have an appetite. We're hungry. We're ready to eat, right? That's how we actually should be waking up every morning feeling that way. And then that meal should be able to satisfy us for at least the next few hours, right? And then maybe like three, four hours after that, then maybe we feel like, okay, I could eat again. And that might look like a mid-morning snack. That might look like lunch, depending on when you have your breakfast, that sort of thing. Then another few hours after that, again, like another three to four hours after that, we should be experiencing some hunger again. Maybe this time it's lunchtime. So we have a nice meal for lunch. Then another three to four hours after that, we notice some hunger coming online again. And maybe this time it's dinner time, ready for our next meal, or it's time for that mid-afternoon snack. Then again, and I know this is sounding repetitive, but we as humans need consistent energy coming in. And I can talk a little bit more about why that is from a nervous system perspective in a few minutes. So let's say you have your mid-afternoon snack. A few hours after that, three to four hours after that, maybe you notice some hunger coming back online. And then it's time for dinner, right? And then maybe a few hours after that, we have a nice little bedtime snack to nourish our bodies before we head into having a quality sleep and doing a natural fast for like seven to nine hours, right? So that just to comment back on her question about like three meals a day, that is kind of why we might hear about three meals a day. And because it kind of like works out that way when we're going to be eating or even like experiencing these normal fluctuations in hunger, eating every few hours during the day, what that typically will look like is three meals and two to three snacks throughout the day. Now, another reason why I personally will eat three meals, two to three snacks every single day is because if I'm eating less than that, I am going to actually have quite a hard time eating the amount of calories that I do need to eat by the end of the day. So, you know, if someone's like not even eating snacks, which, you know, by her question, it's like, should I be eating three meals a day, even if I'm not hungry? You know, I'm going to assume this person isn't eating 
or including snacks in that routine. So if we're simply only eating three meals a day, let's say not any snacks, okay? The average woman needs 2,500 calories, okay? So let's just do some math. And I'm not saying that we have to be counting calories. That is not what I'm saying here. But what I'm doing here is just bringing some awareness around energy intake and how much our bodies need and what that would actually look like if we're eating three meals a day and nothing else outside of that. So like I said, average woman needs 2,500 calories and don't use like shortness as an excuse to eat less. Your girl over here, me, is five foot two and I eat over this every single day. All right. So let's just say three meals a day. That is over 830 calories per meal. That is not a small meal three times a day. That wouldn't even be an average meal three times a day. I would say for most people, like for most people, I think you would have to intentionally make your meal large and like intentionally make sure it was over 800 calories. And that is for that like three meal a day type of structure. So I just wanted to like bring some awareness around that because I know that for a lot of people, it would be hard to meet their energy requirements at the end of the day by only eating three meals. Now, I know that is not what this listener is asking. She's actually asking, should I be eating three meals a day even if I'm not hungry, right? And this is actually something that I see a lot of and a conversation that I have many times with my clients who are going through, whether that's eating disorder recovery, HA recovery, or disordered eating recovery, any type of recovery that has involved prior to recovery has involved like not eating enough or restriction. When this happens, we're often not hungry for the amount of food that we actually need. So like I said before, when we are not eating enough food, it is very likely that our hunger cues actually aren't appropriate. Like we're not getting the hunger cues that we need to bring in the amount of calories that our bodies actually need to thrive. So if that's the case, right? We often have to actually eat when we're not hungry. And what this does, it is providing the body with the nourishment that it needs consistently, okay? And showing the body safety. And like I said, I I'm I want to talk about like hunger and the nervous system in a few minutes here. But when we aren't hungry for the energy that we actually need, 
right? Let's say, let's just use like that 2,500 calories for an example. If we aren't hungry for that, but that's actually what our body needs at the end of the day to like thrive and function properly, then what that's actually going to look like is eating when we're actually not hungry to show the body safety. And what happens when we do that is that our hunger cues will actually come back online. And like I said before, that's actually a really incredible sign of health to experience these normal hunger fluctuations throughout the day. So from a nervous system perspective, when we are under eating, that is a stress on the body. That is not signaling safety to the body. It is signaling danger. It is signaling that something is not okay. And what happens within our nervous system when the nervous system is picking up on a cue of danger, which is exactly what happens when we're restricting or not eating enough, whether that's intentionally or unintentionally, the nervous system shifts into a state of sympathetic. So that fight or flight, it is prioritizing survival, right? That is a survival response. It is not a state of the nervous system that prioritizes things like hunger and digestion. So when we are living in a state of sympathetic fight or flight, our bodies are not likely going to have those normal hunger cues because that's not what the body is prioritizing at that time. So back to bringing in safety, when we're actually nourishing the body and providing it with the calories that it needs, that is showing the body safety and going to be able to support the nervous system in accessing more safety, which is in that ventral state or that parasympathetic state. And that is the state where we actually can prioritize things like hunger and digestion because that's not this survival response that's dominating things. So just kind of wrapping this all up together and going back to this listener question about, you know, eating three meals a day, should we, shouldn't we be doing this if we're not hungry for them? You know, if hunger is low or non-existent, we, what's going to be the most helpful is following kind of a rhythm. I don't like following meal plans. I don't like being rigid around food, but like, can we follow some sort of rhythm that at the end of the day, we actually are eating an appropriate amount of food because honestly, nothing good comes from eating too little food. And like I said, that could be intentionally, unintentionally, but the body needs a certain amount of food. And if we're not eating that amount of food for our bodies and like meeting the needs of our bodies, then 
these health issues can arise and even things that like you don't think of, right? Like even like the diminished hunger or just having no hunger, not a lot of people relate that to not eating enough food, but it very often is related to not eating enough food. Let's do one last question. So this listener is asking, do I have to increase calories even if I have a normal BMI? And I think this is such a important question to answer because, you know, maybe we think that only people who are low in weight or have a low BMI or look like they're thin or skinny or like have a small body, I think, you know, we can be in this mindset where people who aren't eating enough food look a certain way, that there's a look. And I really want to make it clear here that someone who is not eating enough food, does not have to look a certain way. You don't have to be of a low BMI. You don't have to be of a certain body shape or size. Any body type, whether that's low BMI, normal BMI, higher BMI, whatever it is, any body can be a body that is not receiving enough calories. And, you know, that's kind of what I want to say here. So when we know that, that, you know, and I don't know this listener, I don't know her entire situation. So I don't know if she has to increase her calories or not. I don't know what her intake's like. But I want to make it very clear that where your BMI is or where your weight is or where your body, what your body shape, size looks like, what size pants you wear or whatever it is, that does not correlate with whether or not you are eating enough or not. Okay, so want to be really clear there. And honestly, I think this is something that I do very differently as a practitioner um, working with clients who are going through recovery. And one of my clients and I actually had a really great conversation about this this um, last week, I guess, since I'm recording this ahead of time. But, um, you know, she's going through eating disorder recovery right now. And we were talking about how eating disorder recovery can place like there's so many practitioners out there. And this has been my personal experience, too. Like when I was recovering from an eating disorder in high school, there was so much focus on me being at a certain weight. And that was kind of like the only focus. It was like, let's get her eating. Let's get her eating. And like, I was constantly 
increasing my meal plan. And I mean, like I had to, I had to eat more because I absolutely wasn't eating enough back then when I was at the depths of my eating disorder, but it was all to achieve a goal of a certain number on the scale. And that was literally the only thing that the doctors were focused on. That was the thing that my dietitian was focused on because of the doctors informing her where I needed to be at, right? So no shade to her at all, but that was the focus of my recovery that I had to be some sort of number. And my approach is not that, you know, my approach is, and I talked about this in last week's episode too. I really love to see recovery as this beautiful opportunity where we can really relearn to nourish our bodies and take care of ourselves in ways that we haven't been. It's it's such a beautiful like relearning journey and when I approached recovery in that way to relearn how many calories a woman actually needs to thrive and function properly and relearn how to properly nourish myself and what that looks like and relearn how to take care of myself so my body can function properly. Like all of these things, I had to relearn so many things and When I made that my focus and let my weight get to a place where it wanted to be and needed to be in order for all of my like health markers to fall into place, right? Like sleeping through the night, having normal bowel movements, like daily bowel movements. I grew up constipated, you know, and that is not a sign of health. That is something that is indicating that there is something happening. And most often it's not that we need to pull a trigger food out. A lot of the times constipation is a result of actually not eating enough food because we actually need to have energy, enough energy, an appropriate amount of energy coming in. So our digestive system works properly. If we do not have enough energy coming in, systems within the body are going to start falling short, just like we see with hypothalamic amenorrhea. The only reason we are seeing these issues with reproductive health is because of stress. And one of those main like factors of stress or the main stressors that are influencing hormones and reproductive health is not eating enough, right? So when we are not eating enough, there are so many body systems that are going to start falling short because they're not getting enough energy coming in. So that is my approach is really like relearning and not being so focused on weight because honestly, we don't know where your body needs to be. We don't know where your BMI is going to land. We don't know what the number on the scale is going to be. And like, tell me this, how is that important if we're still not getting our period? How is that important 
if we're still waking up at 3 a.m. every night and like lying there awake. How is that important if we're constipated or super bloated all the time, not digesting our food? How are any of like, how is weight a factor when all of these other like markers of health, these true markers of health are still totally like not existent, right? So when I work with a client, you know, most often do they need to gain weight? (laughs) Yeah, like that happens, but that's not our focus. My focus is the relearning component, relearning how to take care of ourselves, how to nourish ourselves, but also these health markers. And honest to goodness, like when those health markers start to come back online and we see the body functioning properly, well, guess what? The weight is just going to land where it needs to land. So that's kind of like what I'll say about that. So this listener, do I have to increase my calories even if I'm at a normal BMI? You know, your BMI has nothing to do with whether or not you have to increase your calories or not. And I also don't know where she's sitting at calorie wise, but I would encourage you to look at your health markers and more times than not more energy, more calories coming in, nourishing our bodies better and more fully abundantly, that's going to make a really positive difference in our health. So that is where I will wrap up for today, my friends. I will be back next week. I'm actually going to be back from my trip next week. So I'm not pre-recording next week's podcast episode, but I might want to share a little bit about my somatic experiencing training and wrapping that up. So please let me know if you have specific questions about that. I'll probably put up a question sticker on Instagram. So if you follow me on Instagram and you have specific questions about somatic experiencing and even just like my personal experience going through the program now that I've completed it, that sort of thing, um, I'd love to answer your questions. But Thank you for being here with me this week. I really appreciate you and I will see you next week and it'll be December. So go enjoy these last couple days or these last moments in November. (laughs) 